Surah Al-Kahf is a surah that it's sunnah to read every Friday for the benefits of its regular recitation that are transmitted from Rasulullah wasallam are that the one who recites it, Allah Ta'ala will protect them from fitna. The word fitna can mean either a test or tribulation which is very difficult in its metaphorical meaning. But its literal meaning is punishment. Its literal meaning is punishment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book, Protect yourself from such a punishment that doesn't only afflict the wrongdoers amongst you. In this context, the meaning of a test doesn't make any sense. From the benefits of the recitation of Surah Al-Kahf on Fridays is that a person will be protected from the greatest of fitan, which is the Masih al-Dajjal, the false Messiah, the false Christ, the Antichrist, which will come before the end of time. And this bayan is not the place to discuss his fitna in great detail. Suffice to say, Mawana Ahmed Ali and people who are uh, more knowledgeable than myself and more gifted and talented in delivery of the material and content, you can find talks from them online and they'll describe that fitna, which is such a fitna that every Nabi warned his people about. It's also a sunnah to memorize the opening ayat of Surah Al-Kahf and to recite them daily for the same set benefits. Because of the shortage of time and my inability to deliver content in a concise manner in a short amount of time, unfortunately we will not be able to discuss the entire tafsir of the surah. Suffice to say, the common theme, there are six stories that come through the Surah Al-Kahf. The common theme through all of them is the emphasis by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of the superiority of the spiritual world, the moral and ethical world, over that of the physical world. And we live amongst the people, perhaps nobody is more materialistic than they are. And we live in a time that perhaps no era or time was more materialistic than this time. And it's something that is not a surprise. Allah Ta'ala says in his book, that the days of this world, it's like we give everybody a turn to see how they would have behaved. To see how everybody would have behaved had they had the chance to do whatever they wanted to. And right now, the upper hand and the ascendancy and the hegemony and suzerainty uh, over, the, over the, the, the happenings in the world are in the hands of a people 
who said and maintained and still maintained that Allah Ta'ala came in the form of a human being, in the form of a material body to this world. And that that was something possible. And we categorically deny this. This is uh, something that it's very interesting, right? Think about, think about Surah Kahf. There are six stories in it, all of which the common theme is the superiority of the spiritual world over the material world. What are the opening verses of Surah Al-Kahf? Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, and to warn those people that say Allah Ta'ala uh, has a son or took a son. Meaning what? The superlative, the superlative expression of materialism is what? Is to take Allah Ta'ala whose, whose holy and sacred reality transcends not only the physical world, but even the world of understanding of the, created, uh, of the created beings, and to try to force him, drag him down into this material world. So it's no surprise that those people who said Allah Ta'ala can be part of the material world have ushered in the most materialistic civilization ever known to mankind. They have ushered in a civilization which is the most materialistic world ever known to mankind. They have literally made material things sacred. If I were to get up and take a hundred dollar bill and rip it up in front of you, people literally, their heart will stop. Literally their heart will stop. If there's like an electrical monitor, it will have a spiritual effect on us. Even though we claim that we're the Ummah of the Prophet but what the, uh, the other and the effect of being amongst those people, it's there on us. So perhaps there is no people who are more in need of it than us. But again, because of the scarcity of time, we won't be able to discuss all of these stories. But what I'll leave you with, if you want to read a thematic treatment of the Surah Al-Kahf, is that the Shaykh of our Mashaykh, Mawlana Sayyid Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi, Rahimahullah Tabarak wa Ta'ala, he wrote a, 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 a small booklet. Uh, I don't know exactly, I don't remember exactly what the name of it is in English. It's something like spirituality over materialism, something like that. Uh, and the, 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 the explanation of Surah Al-Kahf. And you can actually still find it in print in, in some places. And if not, you can find the PDF online. Alhamdulillah, by Allah Ta'ala's fadl, I've met many people who are connected with the students of, 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 of Moana, uh, uh, Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi Rahimullah, and they're actually doing good work in trying to uh, reprint and clean up the English and republish and redistribute uh, 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 his, uh, his many wonderful books uh, on a number of topics. And there's actually even an app you can download that, you, that allows you to actually download his books. For those of you who are able to read, that, read it in the original language, the original Urdu, when a person writes something, the, there's more than just words and information. There's a spiritual uh, a state that's conveyed through a person's speech and through their writing. And that, that spiritual state is diluted through translation. Although sometimes the spirituality, the original text is, or the original language is so strong that it will reach even through the translation and affect you. But if you're able to read it in the original language, then please do so. And he wrote... Most of his books, he wrote them both in Arabic and in Urdu. Uh, 
it's not that he sent the Arabic to somebody else to be translated, although the English is, is to my knowledge, all, it's all translations from, from, from people, but they were done under his, uh, under his supervision. So go ahead and please get that book, read it, and uh, benefit yourself. If you're going to read the surah every week anyway, or you're going to read ayat from the surah every day anyway, you may as well understand what you're, what you're reading. To read the ayat of the book of Allah Ta'ala without understanding, there's still great benefit in it. But it's like somebody who set the table, but when it's time to eat, they left. You already went through the difficulty of setting the table, you may as well enjoy it as well. So... Out of the different stories of the Surah Al-Kahf, the story that I wanted to talk about in the brief amount of time that I have, and I really do want to finish on time because last yesterday's ban was really long. Huh? No, no, 7.15, let them go to dinner, man. Why, why you got to browbeat them, right? 7.30? But you're saying that, they're not saying that. Anyway, so the idea is what? Is that... There is a, an incident that happens in the life of Sayyidina Musa Which is what? After all of those things that we described when we talked about you know, certain themes from the Surah Al-Qasas uh, After they crossed the, the sea and after the army of Fir'aun and Haman and Junuduhuma were uh, drowned in the ocean Allah Ta'ala protect us from ever being in love with them or wanting to be like them or keeping their company or ever becoming one of them After all of that at some point, Sayyidina Musa will gather Banu Israel and he will remind them about the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To, to, to remind them about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and about all the things that they had gone through together ever since they cast their lot in with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they sought Allah ta'ala's help and Allah ta'ala showed them his help. And it was an amazing ban to put it in you know, Thorncliffe uh, language. It was awesome. It was, he killed it, that's it. And so one of the people, one of the people who heard, obviously imagine uh, uh, that the ulama, of the, the, the ummah of the Prophet wasallam. there are some people amongst them, their speech has so much spirituality and so much effect in it. Um, the, you know, all of us have sat through a good ban nowadays and like been affected, but there are some people we don't even know, we don't even know a tenth of it. Right, Moana uh, Sayyid Ataullah Shah Bukhari Rahimullah Ta'ala. I heard this from one of my wife's relatives who's not really like Rahimullah, Allah have mercy on him, but he wasn't like a Hafiz or a Alim or into all of this stuff. He's just a regular guy who prayed five times a day. He said that he, he, he once mentioned the, the name of the Shaykh. I said, How do you know about him? What do you know about him? He said, All I know is that one time I was walking to Karachi and uh, um, there was a band going on in a park. They do that, right? Because so many people come that you can't, there's no building that will accommodate everyone. So they set up a stage in a park and they set up microphones and so they start talking. Oftentimes the microphone sound system is really poor quality. It's hard to make out what's being said. That he, that he was speaking and uh, I just stopped to see what's going on. And he says, I was mesmerized. Hours passed. I didn't realize the hours have passed. Uh, it was very often that he would, he would, he would start his band after Isha. And people would be surprised by the, the Adhan of Fajr. It had effect on people. That's in the later times. That's just in our, the generations of our fathers and for, our grandfathers. The, 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 the bayans of Ibn al-Jawzi and of Shah Abdul Qadir Jailani rahimahumullah ta'ala wa qaddasallahu asrarahuma. Those bayans, they, they had no mic system. They actually used to have people who would hear and repeat. They'd have repeaters who would repeat the bayan basically. 
Like, you know, the people repeat the takbirat, they would repeat the entire band. Despite that, those are bands in which like a dozen janazas would leave the band. A hundred thousand people, ten thousand people would listen to it. It would have such an effect on people. Literally, janazas would leave the, 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 the band if it had such an effect on people. And someone's like, I don't know if I want to go to that band. <laughs> Trust me. There's a lot of khair in it as well. The point is it was something that used to touch people. Why? Because the people who, who gave them, they had something inside. And it's not just the words that people take from you. There's something else from the hearts that, that pours out. And that's more important than the words. But because we're materialistic people, we think it's just the words. It's not just the words. There's a kefiyah and a state that's transmitted from person to person. So imagine what should the, the speech of a Nabi be like. A Nabi is someone, just for him to look at you, it changes your state forever. What's the highest maqam of anyone in, the, in, this, in this ummah? It's not being a hafiz, it's not being an alim. You can memorize as many books as you want to and become the biggest mufti and perform hajj every year and do like zikr the whole night and like, you know, tahajjud the whole night and all of these things. There's, there's a maqam that you'll never reach. It's what the maqam of suhbah, the person who is a sahabi, nobody will, will ever come close to that from the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ after the Prophet ﷺ. What did that involve? Just Rasulullah ﷺ sees them and they see him or they see him. So imagine if that's the power that's in just one glance, right? We talked about this yesterday as well. That said, don't, don't, don't waste your glance on the thing that you're not supposed to. Don't waste your, I don't, and sisters, you know, your, your beauty is, is something that is, that other people look at as like a consumer good, so don't give it out for free, right? But imagine that if the, the, the you know, because we, we talk about it in a bad way, right? Like, you know, like, like a Mulan Asaf has a ruler in his hand and he wraps a young Muslim or Muslimah on the knuckles. It's like, haram, don't look at that, right? But there's more than that. That's what your eyes were not made for. Imagine what your eyes were made for, that there are certain people in this ummah that they have in their glance such a power that it will literally change a person's life. The Prophet ﷺ looked at them and it changed their life. They looked at his Mubarak uh, face and it changed his li their life. Just one time. It changed their, their dunya and their akhirah. And the tabi'een, the sahaba anhum for the barakah of the, another of the Prophet ﷺ, they saw each other and it changed their life. That thing hasn't ended yet. It's still going. It may not be as powerful as it was back in those days. And usually the person who claims that they have this power is trying to like make money, so stay away from them. But as a, as a, theoretical, uh, as a theoretical matter, it's not like it's done. It's not over yet. If, it, if and when it happens, you'll know and you'll experience it. So imagine what, what it was to look on Sayyidina Musa salam, and he's looking on his people and he's reminding them the kafiya, the state inside of the heart that's generated when he's reminding them of the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in this context, somebody marvels and asks Sayyidina Musa salam, he says, Oh Musa, is there anybody in this world who has more knowledge than you? And Sayyidina Musa thought about the question and he says, I don't know anybody in this world who has more knowledge than me. Now, the Mufassirun, the, 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 the ulama of tafsir, they say that this statement of his, this answer was correct. There was nobody that had more knowledge than he did. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because he keeps always the ones that he loves, he keeps moving them to a higher and a higher state, a greater and greater understanding. He wanted to open a door to Sayyidina Musa to make even 
open a door to even more knowledge to him that wasn't going to be opened in the state that he was at. So he revealed to Sayyidina Musa salam that there is a man who knows all sorts of things that you don't know. He knows all sorts of things that you don't know. I want you to uh, 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 meet him where the, where the, the two uh, seas meet, where you'll see the, 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 the river of life and at that place, you know, go look for that place and you will find him over there. And then you can learn something from him that you didn't know from before. And so Sayyidina Musa salam, he takes with him uh, his, his companion who is Sayyidina Yusha bin Nun salam, the biblical prophet Joshua. Uh, by the way, as a, like a small side point, which is not small in its importance, Qurtubi uh, rahimahullah ta'ala at this point he mentions that uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said to Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu that my relationship to you is like the relationship of Musa to Harun. Meaning what? You're like, my, you're like my right hand. You're like my right hand man and you're like my family. You're my, my, my blood. He's the closest to the Khulafat Rashidun in kin, kinship to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so there, is a, there are heterodox and deviant sects that ascribe themselves to Islam to say, Ah, look, this hadith is a proof that Ali should have been the Khalifa of the Prophet sallallahu And at this point, Qurtubi points out, he says, Who's the Khalifa of Sayyidina Musa Was it Sayyidina Harun? No. In fact, not only according to the Torah, but even according to the Sahih Hadith, Sayyidina Harun dies before Sayyidina Musa does. So it's impossible for him to be, have been his Khalifa. Who is the Khalifa of, the, of Sayyidina Musa Who is the one who took the Imara, the leadership of Banu Israel after Sayyidina Musa passes from the world? It's Yusha bin Nun. It's the, the Prophet Joshua that, that if the Prophet by this statement was trying to say that you were going to be my Khalifa, then he would have said that your relationship to me is like that of Yusha bin Nun. So the Quran doesn't give the name explicitly, but it says, Qala Musa li fatahu. Uh, 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 he said that I will keep seeking this knowledge. I will not slacken and I will not weaken and I will not give up in uh, seeking this knowledge until, until either, either we uh, uh, find the, the place where the two oceans meet or the two seas meet or I spend a lifetime looking for it. Right? right? Is, 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 like, is like so many dozens of years that it's like the length of a lifetime that a person spent in order to seek knowledge. Which is a really good lesson for all of us when we're seeking knowledge. If your Qari Sahib is mean to you, right, be patient. Everybody cusses out their Qari Sahib under their breath when they're doing hifs. And trust me, you also frustrate Qari Sahib a lot too, you just you don't understand. But once a person does their hifs and they're done, everyone's like, oh, my Qari Sahib was a great wali of Allah and he was like an angel and he's this and that. And like they make dua for him when he's dead. As if like the old, the, uh, you know, cussing him out and like being a jerk to him while he was teaching you, like as if it never happened, right? So if it's difficult, it's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to learn knowledge. No one's going to pay you to learn about the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet They will pay you to be a doctor. They will pay you to be a lawyer. Heck, they'll pay you to learn how to drive a, uh, you know, a taxi cab or fix like garbage trucks. Nobody will pay you for, for, for seeking knowledge of the deen in general. So it's difficult. Nobody will pay your teacher in order to teach, teach you, which means getting time out of them is very difficult. 
The ulama in the past used to travel from one country to the other for very simple things, for one hadith or for a small number of ahadith. Uh, uh, Sahnun, one of the, uh, the canonical uh, 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 authorities of the Maliki Madhab, he traveled from Tunis going to Medina in order to meet Malik only to reach Egypt and hear the news that Malik had passed away, rahimahullah. But he didn't give up. What did he do? He went and found Malik's students. And he learned more about the fatah of Malik from Malik's students than many of the people who actually went and sat with Malik himself. So Mudawana is like this. He, had, he wrote a book uh, basically of like the fiqh of Imam Malik, rahimahullah ta'ala, just to, the, to this day an authority of, of that topic. Perhaps he wouldn't have been able to uh, do so. Even if he met Malik in person, he wouldn't have been able to get all that information out of him. What he got from his different students. So the point is, is what? The Anbiya are not just there so that you can say their name and it's like a good luck charm for you. They're there so that you can try your best in order to emulate their example. So Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend my whole, if you even have to, I have to spend my whole lifetime looking for this person that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that, that if I you know, find him where, the, where the, the water of life is, I'll spend my whole life in order to... to to catch up with him. And so what happens, they're going and they're going and they're going and like, it's just been a really long time and uh, you know, frustration is starting to kind of come in a little bit. Uh, not, not, I shouldn't say frustration, but the difficulty of the journey is starting to, uh, starting to uh, be felt. And what happens is in that, in that, in that setting, uh, Sayyidina Yusha bin Nun mentions to Sayyidina Musa Islam that a couple of days, I wanted to mention something to you a couple of days ago that happened while you were sleeping. Uh, but then I, I just kind of forgot, and now I just remembered again. The shaitan made me forget. I said, what is that? He said that there was some piece of fish that, that we had, like, you can dry fish and take it with you. Um, people from West Africa, they, they enjoy that, like Senegal and things like that. You go to their stores to the day, you get these like dried fish. I don't. People from other places probably do that as well. So it, it was that uh, there's this uh, there's a piece of fish that we had in our provisions, and so we passed by a certain stream, and uh, a little bit of the water from the stream like uh, came at a at a higher at a higher speed, and it kind of spritzed over and, and, and touched the fish, and the fish came alive and it flipped over and just jumped into the water and swam off, it took off. And so Sayyidina Musa is like, that's what we were looking for. We already passed it. Where is it? Let's go back. So they go back and they find this person, right? This person is not named in the Quran, but the name that, that, that is transmitted regarding this person is what? Is, is Khidr alayhi salam. So the difference of opinion, is he a Nabi? Is he not a Nabi? Uh, what is, who is he? What is he? There's like, that's like a lot of tahqiq we don't have time to get into right now. But he's a very amazing person. One of the reasons they say his name is Khidr because... Akhdar in the Arabic language, it means green. So he's where the river of life, he's to be found where the river of life is. And it said that literally every place where he stepped, like plants and living things would grow from that place. That Allah Ta'ala put some sort of special type of barakah in, in this person. And so the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi the Prophet Musa Alaihi Salam, he met him. They went back, they backtracked and they, backtracked and they, they, they met with one another. And so he introduced himself, Musa Alaihissalam introduced himself, and he said that, uh, uh, he asked him, he made the request with great humility that can you teach me 
some of the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes this Khidr alayhi salam that This is a very interesting sentence, not like a normal way of describing things. Allah ta'ala said with regard to the Sayyidina Khidr alayhi salam uh, that we taught him, Allah ta'ala said we taught him some knowledge from the knowledge that we have with us. Now obviously Allah ta'ala has all knowledge. But the ulama, they mentioned that this expression has a special meaning. Which is what? That there is a certain type of ilm which is what they call kasbi. A certain type of ilm that if you observe the world around you or if you learn or if you experiment or if you, you know, try to figure stuff out, you'll learn it. And it's really amazing the amount of knowledge that people learn from observing the world around them and using their rational faculty that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us. So through that, there are a lot of things that people have learned. I contend, in fact, that we overestimate how much knowledge that we, that we got, that we learned through what? That we learned through uh, looking and observing, looking at and observing the world around us. You know, the brain that a human being has is similar to a brain that, that, that a chimpanzee has or a gorilla has. It's similar, perhaps even inferior in some ways to the brain that a, that a dolphin has. There are certain knowledges Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave human beings from Jannah. That if we didn't receive those things, we wouldn't have been who we are. And there are certain other gifts Allah gave us that, wouldn't, that if we didn't receive those gifts, we wouldn't, been, we wouldn't have been able to be who we are. We would have been stuck like one of the animals. What are those things? Like it's mentioned that the, the ajwa, the, the date palm, is a gift from Jannah, it's not from this world, or the olive tree, or uh, uh, the an'am, right? Goats and sheep and uh, camels and things like that. The camels, there were camels before, but they were, you couldn't domesticate them or ride them. The only place in the, the world that before, before 4,000 years ago that, that the camels were actually docile enough that you can ride them is what? Is the Arabian Peninsula. Um, there's so many things, I contend that these are actually gifts from Jannah, they're not, they're not part of the regular system. The regular system is there as well, but they're not part of the regular system. What else? The fact that we have language that we can speak with one another. The angels speak language, and we speak language. Where did we learn that from? Where did Sayyidina Adam learn that from? It's not like we made that up, because the other animals have brains like we do, but they're not able to make that up. We can teach, you can teach a gorilla sign language. You can teach dolphins to even mimic human speech. But it's not like they f were able to figure that out on their own. And I think we're, it's our own arrogance. We, thought, we generally assume we figured these things out on our own. What is it? Clothing. Right? Other animals, maybe the only other animal I can think of that wears something like clothing is like a snail. Because the turtle, the shell is part of its body. A snail, it's, the shell is actually something that's that's like external to it somehow that it can like weave out of but even that's like biologically generated by it it's very interesting because there's this discussion regarding clothing so there'll be one person who's like oh you got to wear shawarkamis all the time otherwise you're a horrible muslim and the other person's like no it's sunnah to wear a suit i was like look dude you guys need to both calm down right it's not sunnah to wear a suit otherwise the prophet would have said no rasulullah wore what the arabs wore at his time I say that's like a convincing argument for someone who's never read hadith before. Otherwise, Rasulullah his dress was very different than that of the Arabs. Why? 
Rasulullah used to wear white, and he used to prefer wearing white. The Arabs didn't used to prefer wearing white. Imagine when you forget about the desert, when you're sitting in Pakistan for like an afternoon, if you're wearing white clothes, they become dirty just sitting inside the house because of the amount of dust that's there. So imagine if you actually live in the desert, how difficult it is to wear white clothes and keep them clean. Uh, only person who can wear white clothes in such a, uh, such a context is someone who's immaculate, who keeps themselves clean all the time. You have to constantly be washing the clothes, cleaning the clothes, uh, constantly, if a stain comes on it, you have to go to the bathroom and wash it out by hand. You can't just, you know, wait for it to throw it into the washing machine. You won't get by two hours that way without the clothes being dirty. What else? The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said that uh, 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 go against the 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 Yahud and the Nasara that either wear a hat or they wear a turban. Wear both of them at the same time. It's a hadith of Sunan Abi Dawood. Uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam used to wear the the hem of his his uh, lower garment, his izar. Right? He, never, he never wore shalwar sallallahu alayhi wa He never wore sirwal, pants. He always wore izar. Uh, like, you know, like you wear in hajj and things like that. Um, not to say that wearing sirwal is haram. A number of the sahaba radiallahu anhum used to wear it. Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhum had known about him. That there, he said there are two habits of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in appearance that, that I, I left. One was that he used to wear an izar. He used to wear a, a, a waist wrap. Uh, and I started wearing sirwal. And the second is that he used to keep long hair, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. His hair used to be to, to somewhere between the the the, the meat of his earlobes uh, to his uh, shoulders. And he said that I shave my head. And he said that both of them I only did them because I I, I find ease when I go in jihad fi sabilillah in these two things. So out of that I take the dispensation of that, right? So at any rate we wear clothes, and so people make this other argument. When, you know, like what you know what is you know, do you, do you have to dress like a foreigner or do you have to, you know, wear a suit and tie as if you're like going to a Goldman Sachs meeting all the time? And the hatita is that there's a lot of flexibility in it. People shouldn't be dogmatic about these things. Um, but people look at these, these discussions in the, uh, in the context of negativity. I say look at these discussions in the context of being positive. If the Prophet said, Man minhum, that the person who goes out of their way in order to resemble a people, not that they happen to resemble a people, but they go out of their way to resemble a people. Tashabbuh is mushabaha bil to go out of your way to. For those of you who read Sarf, mashallah, Sarf's up. Sarf is wonderful. Read Sarf. Brought, message brought to you by Sarf, right? Um, the person who goes out of their way like to dress like a certain people, Allah will count them as, as if he's one of that, those people. So people think like, oh, don't dress like a kafir. Dude, you grew up in Thorncliffe, man. It's just what's there at the mall. Uh, it's not like you have tailors you know, and things like that. You guys, at least, because there's so many Muslims here, you have sh shops that you can buy other clothing from. When I grew up, like, where am I going to get a shawar kameez from? I lived in Blaine, Washington. It's like a town of 3,000 people. Um, you know, in, in kind of rural west coast of the United States of America. It was such a remote place. I actually used to cross the border to go to Canada in order to attend the Jum'ah Khutbah. The Imam of the Masjid that I was there, he's now, he's in Ottawa. His name is Imam Ziad Delich. He's a really amazing guy. If you ever can go check him out, he's Imam in some masjid in Ottawa. Mashallah. I used to cross the border in order to go, go and hear the Jum'ah Khutbah, right? So the, the idea is this, right? Some people just wear what they wear because that's just what they got, right? So people are like, oh, don't dress like a kuffar or whatever. I think that's a little bit of a misunderstanding of the hadith. But don't look at it negatively, look at it positively. If the person goes out of their way to resemble a people and then Allah will count them amongst them, then imagine the person who goes out of his way to resemble the ulama, 
Imagine the person who goes out of his way to resemble the Salihin. Imagine the person who goes out of his way to resemble the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Imagine the person who goes out of his way to resemble the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That there's khair in it. It may not be fard, but there's good in it. You know, so don't, don't, don't ever forget that or lose sight of that. Now why am I saying this? Where did that knowledge come to human beings from? From what? From, from a realm other than this realm. And I've had people actually look at me and say, why you wear the turban, you're dressing like a Sikh or whatever. First of all, they learned it from us. They learned it from, they didn't know, they didn't know the Indian subcontinent, they used to, like Gandhi, he didn't used to wear even clothes. Right? It's hot, it's humid. This dress, they, they picked up from us. So you'll see even the most like accurate like anti-Muslim politicians and things like that. If they came to the masjid in the clothes that they're in, nobody would even know that they're not Muslims. Doesn't it come to so somebody says about the turban, what's why you, why you wear the turban all the time? It's not fard, it's not even a sunnah. Many of our ulama don't wear it either, right? There's nothing wrong with it. As an aqidah, because the Prophet wore it, we should honor it and whatever, respect it. But what's my point and how is it tied to what we're talking about with Surah Al-Kahf? The point is this, is that doesn't it come in the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that on the day of Badr, on the day of the battle of Badr, the Sahaba عنهم, amongst them, there were those who saw the angels riding on horses whose hoofs didn't touch the ground, wearing yellow turbans. This is a very high nisbah that we have. This is, what, this is from the angelic uh, adab of a, of a human being. The adab of the angels that there's a certain type of class and a certain type of barakah and a certain type of nur in these things. Right? So what I'm trying to say is there are certain ulum that we assume that are. There are certain ulum that we assume that are from the ulum kasbiya, the ulum that we just learn from our own experiences and our own uh, understandings and our own observation regarding the world around us. And this is from our great, uh, uh, our great lack of shukr for Allah Ta'ala. That we don't know that these things were also gifted to us. And we don't appreciate Him for them and we don't thank Him for them. So the idea is this, look, the whole knowledge, al-ilm al-kasbi is one thing, and then the ilm al-wahbi is the other, the ilm wahbi is opposed to kasbi. Kasbi is the thing that you investigate the world around you and think about, and you can earn it through your work. The ilm wahbi, wahbi means what in Arabic? Allah is al-wahhab, right? He's the one who's the constantly bestowing gifts, right? So the ilm al-wahbi is that knowledge which is gifted to mankind from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no way you could have figured it out on your own. And another, another word that describes a knowledge similar to that is al-ilm al-ladunni. وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ مِنْ لَدُنَّا عِلْمًا That we gave him a knowledge from, from with us. So that ilm ladunni is something that Sayyidina Musa salam, Allah Ta'ala wanted to show him that all of your knowledge, all of your intelligence, all of those things are wonderful and they will all be necessary in order for you to prosecute the, the hukum of Allah Ta'ala in order to uh, establish Banu Israel in the land and in order to guide people to the path of righteousness in order to bring order into the world. However, this is what? It's like, imagine, right? The, the, the front uh, chamber where the, where the shoe rack is, that's like the, the, the knowledge that you get from your, your own, inter, your own uh, experience and from your own investigation and your own thought and reflection. If you enter in from there, there's the whole rest of the masjid. 
And this analogy is, in fact, not apt because it's like perhaps comparing the, 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 the shurak to the entire holy rest of the universe. That the knowledge that's there with Allah Ta'ala that you would never be able to touch if you didn't, if you, if you, uh, if you would never be able to touch even if you tried through your reflection and study and things like that, that knowledge, you would, that, that, that knowledge is much more expansive and it's greater than what the knowledge you have just in this like, small area that you know. So this dunya, the, knowledge, the, the analogy of this dunya when compared to uh, the rest of Allah Ta'ala's creation is what? It's like the analogy of what the experience the baby has inside the womb, which that's the baby's whole life. And there's undoubtedly a lot of things going on there. There's an umbilical cord and there's stuff coming in and there's stuff going out and the mother speaks sometimes, the baby hears it, and knows this is my mama and then the father speaks and he can hear a faint voice from outside and know that this is somebody else I know. Maybe the baby when it's born and hears the father for the first time through its ears, it will know that, like I remember that voice. So there's a lot going on there, but it's not a lot because the whole world is like so huge and the womb is such a small place. Just like that when you die, this whole dunya will feel like you were in the womb and then you'll see all of this other reality. And just like that, when you're resurrected and Yom Al-Qiyamah will start, even the, the barzakh that you were in when you were dead will seem like nothing. And just like that, the one who enters Jahannam, the Yom Al-Qiyamah will seem like nothing. The one who enters Jannah, the dunya will seem like nothing to them. The creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is far greater than what people, people know. So Allah Ta'ala was trying to teach Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam and he taught our Prophet ﷺ, and through the Anbiya ﷺ, and through revelation, he teaches the people of this Ummah that there is a higher realm of knowledge, and there are adab that you have to follow in order to access it. There are what? Adab that you have to follow in order to access it. So what happens is Sayyidina Musa says, can I uh, follow you so that you can teach me from the guidance that you were taught by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He says, sabara. That you are not going to be able to be patient with me. Your whole mind is geared in order to understand the world based on the kasbi ulum. How are you going to be able to be patient with things you're going to see that are going to make no sense to you whatsoever? And so Sayyidina Musa said, insha'Allah sabiran. You will amra. That insha'Allah you will find me patient with you and you'll find that I'm not going to disobey you. Why? Because he wanted to learn the knowledge from, learn the knowledge from him. So they do three things. What happens is the first thing that they do is that when Sayyidina Musa uh, and Sayyidina Khidr, they start walking, they get to a river and there's a ferryman ferrying people back and forth from the river. Okay? And so what happens, the ferryman sees that these are two righteous individuals. If you don't waste, because we were talking about what are you supposed to do with your nazar. The nazar wasn't meant to like, you know, look at the aura of like non-mahram women on your phone. Your, your nazar wasn't there so that you could look at someone else's like nice car and be like, oh, I wish I had a car like they had cars. Just like Banu Israel looked at the idols and said, we should have had an idol like they had idols. Allah Ta'ala gave us much more than that. This is a type of ingratitude to Allah Ta'ala. The nazar was for something else. So your nazar, your glance, your gaze, you can tell a lot through it. You can affect a lot through it. So this ferryman, he sees these two people and he knows immediately these are pious and righteous people. These are spiritual people. They're not just like a regular Joe Schmo. He says, you know what, why don't you ride on the ferry? You can ride for free. So the two of them are on the ferry crossing the river and in the middle of the, in the, middle of the ride, uh, Khidr he, he just makes a gesture with his finger. 
And, and Sayyidina Musa sees that the gesture that he makes with his finger causes a hole to uh, enter into the ship and the ship starts to sink. And they just walk off and leave. Sayyidina Musa says, why did you do that? Like, A, how did you do that? B, why did you do that? He gave, I mean, he was a nice guy. He gave us a ride for free and now like you sank his ship. So didn't I tell you that you're not going to be able to be patient? He says, says please don't take me to task because I forgot. I forgot our agreement from before, and don't, don't, please don't make, you know, don't give me difficulty. I'm just trying to learn, basically, right? So the next, then they keep moving, they keep going. So they see like a nice, mashallah, a, 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 a cute little kid comes by, and Sayyidina Khidr Islam, he makes a, a gesture with his finger, and the child is immediately decapitated. The, his head separates and he falls down. Sayyidina Musa, how did you kill this child? Uh, 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 and uh, Sayyidina Khidr said, you, don't you remember our, uh, our agreement? Now look, if you, you know, if you find like some pious guy and he like decapitates a kid, please for God's sake call RCMP right away. Why? Because this is a very non-standard experience that's happening to a Nabi. This is not, this is not uh, you know, like it's, one of, it's definitely one of those kids don't try this at home type of things. Right? There's things that happen to the MBI that don't happen to us. Sayyidina Ibrahim Allah commanded him to sacrifice his son. If you see a dream, by all means, I'm telling you from right now, the dream means something else. Go to, like, go to one of the Mulana Sahabs and he'll tell you what it means. It doesn't mean you're, you have to kill your son. You know? And if my father sees the dream, definitely it, means it doesn't mean that you have to kill your son. So just remember that, if my, Abu, if you're listening. Right? So the idea is what? Is that he does this thing and then uh, Sayyidina Khidr says, Don't you remember our, our agreement? Um, and Sayyidina Musa, that, that, that uh, I, didn't I tell you that you're not going to be able to be patient with me? And Sayyidina Musa salam, says to him something, he says, He says, if, I'm sorry, if I ask you about one more thing, then you can leave me. Because truly, even I recognize that, that I'm run out of excuses. Now, there is a tafsir that one of the mashayikh uh, uh, gave. And he wasn't that one of the ulama, he was kind of one of the, the mashayikh of Tasawwuf, Abu Madian al Ghoth. He was from Andalusia, he was a very great, uh, uh, a very great uh, uh, person from the Salihin in the history of the Muslims. And he has very fine ash'ar and poetry. If you can go look up Abu Madian, uh, his, his ash'ar in Arabic, they're, they're really awesome, mashallah. And he, he, he made a lot of comments, like very insightful comments for being a, a person who was unable to read and write. And so he, he commented about this. He goes, look at what the maqam of Sayyidina Musa was. This verse is a dalil that the maqam of Allah Ta'ala Sayyidina Musa is higher than that of Sayyidina Khidr. Why? Because Musa said, if I, do, if I ask you one more thing, then leave me. And what, does, what happens? Sayyidina Musa will ask him another thing and Sayyidina Khidr will oblige him. He won't, he will literally stick to exactly what he said. He will, he will, he will follow, he will obey his commandment. That, that's how much adab he had with Sayyidina Musa salam. It's a very subtle point and it, I think it's lost on a lot of people, right? That the law of the Sharia itself is wahbi. Allah Ta'ala revealed it to the Prophet wasallam. And so when we talk about al-ilm al-dunya, some people get fascinated because the, the nafs likes to fixate on the exception and not on the rule. So like praying five times a day is boring, but like weird like, 
you know, like, oh, like green stuff grows out of the ground where he steps and he went like this and the whole ship sank and whatever. People like, they want to fixate on that. They don't want to like pray Asr, you know, in Jama'ah or whatever. Um, despite the fact that even the Salat al-Asr that came to us, it came through a Wahbi means. So Sayyidina Musa a.s. Was, had a rank higher than that of Sayyidina Khidr. This is this, Abu Madian al-Ghothi took the, 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 this verse as a dalil, that Sayyidina Khidr will obey his command. He said that, that if Don't take my keep my companionship if I ask you about anything else. So they keep going, and then they stop at a place where uh, uh, you know you know you can't just there's not like a chunky chicken and new Kandahar kebab house like every place you go to eat in the ancient world. Right? There's no timi shimi that you can go and like grab a coffee or whatever. When you go to a place, you have to depend on the hospitality of the locals. Why, if they don't give you any hospitality, you don't have anything because these types of businesses don't, don't exist in that time. And so what happens is that uh, uh, they go to a place and they ask them, can we stay the night with you? And uh, the people refuse. They stone cold refuse. And so now they're like, great, what are we gonna do now? So when they're on their way out, there's a, a wall that's crumbling, right? And Sayyidina Musa are understandably upset that these people, I mean, generally people used to extend those courtesies to one another. The Sayyidina Khidr makes ishara, he, he gestures with his finger, and that wall that's crumbling, it, it becomes upright again. So Sayyidina Musa says to him, he says, man, these guys didn't even let us stay here, and you're repairing their buildings, we should have at least charged them for that. Sayyidina Khidr says, this, this is where we part company. But before I leave, I will explain to you those things that you didn't understand that I did. He said, as for the ship that was sank, the king was going to uh, uh, conscribe. You know what a conscript is? It's when, the, when they force regular people to join the army. The king was going to conscribe the, that ship. And this poor man, this is the only means of livelihood that he had, and he was a good man. Allah loved this man. Imagine he just sees Sayyidina Musa and Khidr and gives him a free ride, so, uh, you know, he was a good person. Allah loves this person. So when the king's uh, lackeys and, 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 and henchmen come to take the ships, to put in the service of the navy, they'll see that it's, it's uh, uh, not functional. And he'll be able to repair it really easily afterward, and he'll still be able to go on making his livelihood. I mean, this is an important point. We a lot of times we make weird plans, and Allah knows better. And when our own plans get uh, get get scuttled, we get really upset. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that Allah Taala's plans for us are better than our own plans for ourselves. And our entire, the awliya and salihin, they're beautiful people. They show us like how a person, what their adab should be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like for example, I don't know anyone here from Pakistan, if you remember, I think like 2006, 2005, there was a, a, the Fokker prop plane that PIA used to use, a propeller plane. There was a flight from Multan, I think from Multan to Karachi, and it, it crashed. Uh, 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 and so what happened was there was a, a, a brother who who was supposed to take that? Uh, was supposed to take that flight? Don't tell me like seven thirty and then make a shot off for five minutes, man. Come on, man. Look at this guy. He's, he's messing with me now, right? So that that prop plane, 
this person comes to the comes to the uh, the counter, and he's late. He gets like gets there 15 minutes before the flight's supposed to take off, and he's arguing, arguing. They're saying, "No, we're not going to let you on. No, you let me on." They're yelling, screaming. So what happens is that uh, uh, the the person behind the desk he says, "Look, the plane is taking off right now." Go watch it take off, and uh, then you can ask me to check you into the plane afterward. So he gets really upset and goes outside, and he literally sees the plane like take off, sputter, boom, done, crashed. Everyone died. In, everyone died in that that flight, and he just broke down and started crying. Why? Because the choice of Allah Taala for us is better than our choice for ourselves. Maybe for the people who died in the plane, that was also better as well. We don't know. Allah Taala knows. This is a very small example from our time because we're small people. The examples from the history of Islam are like are amazing. So uh, in the Kashf al-Mahjub, uh, there's a story written about one of the mashayikh. His name is Muhammad Khair al-Nasaj. His name was Muhammad. And so he was, a very, he was like one of the salihin. He wanted to go from Baghdad to go to Hajj. So they used to prepare for the Hajj and you know nowadays what when we go for Hajj our preparation is like well, what hotel are you staying at I'm gonna buy this I'm gonna buy that I'm gonna go shopping in this place stuff they didn't used to do Hajj like that this is like I don't want to say it's not a Hajj but it's not a Hajj when you compare it to the Hajj of our, our 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 elders and Mashaikh so what happens is that when he gets to Basra which is the next city on the route to on the caravan to Hajj for Hajj he's in the markets of Basra and a man brings a police officer. And he's, he points to him and says, this is my slave, his name is Khair, he ran away from me. And the police officers, they arrest him and they bring him uh, in captivity to this man who essentially lied, enslaved him by, uh, by crook and lied that this person was his slave, he's not his slave. And so what happened is he said, I thought, you know, I went out in the path of Allah Ta'ala and this is Allah Ta'ala's choice for me, so I'm not going to fight it. We'll see, maybe there's some, some good in this. So he served that man for four years. And then one day after four years, he comes to him crying. He says, you know that I was lying and that you're not my slave and that, uh, uh, that, that I cheated you. Even, but despite that, you served me. This is, again, one of those stories, don't try to set home. If someone tries to enslave you, be like, hell no, man. Like, I'm out of here, right? But like, you know, those people, they, 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 they were big people. So these types of things worked out for them, right? So he says, he, says, he, he, he says, this man comes to him crying and says, I cheated you and you took such good care of me. You treated with me with so much love that you never, that you never uh, slackened in my service to the point where you, you, you served me with love. And he says, please forgive me. I'm sorry. And, uh, and so he forgave him and then he went on to Hajj. You know, he went on to complete his Hajj. Later on, when he would introduce himself to people, he would, he would introduce himself as Khair, my name is Khair, even though that was his, that was his, like his quote unquote, his slave name, right? And people would say, why do you introduce yourself as Khair? That's not even your name. That was like the fake name this guy uh, claimed that you had. He said what? He says, because the name that Allah Ta'ala gave me is more beloved to me than the name my mother gave me. Again, don't try it at home, but the idea is what? Is that, that there are certain things that happen and Allah Ta'ala promised you that it's good for you and you don't understand how. When you think of what happened, nobody's like happy that their plane crashed or that they missed a flight or that like, you know, someone enslaved them or nobody, I got into a car accident, I got sick, my dog died, whatever. Nobody, nobody's gonna be happy about that. When you think about the thing, that's normal, right? You're a human being and you kind of should be sad about these things if you're like a normal human being and not some sort of like mentally drained person, right? When you think about that thing, you should be sad. But when you think about the one who made the decision 
then it should give you some happiness that this is what my Rabb Tabarak wa Ta'ala chose for me and he chose better for me. So the second story, what he says that that child that, 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 that was killed said that his parents were pious people and he would have grown up and, and, and been a, a renegade from his parents and he would have caused them grief and he would have caused them taklif and he would have died on kufr and, and uh, in deviance. So we took his life now so that he would be forgiven and, would, and Allah Ta'ala would give them a, another child that's more appropriate for them. Imagine that there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, if anyone has lost a child, I, don't, I couldn't even fathom what it's like. But look at the, the, the deen of Allah Ta'ala, that uh, uh, there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that the angels, if some, someone's child dies, Allah asked the angels, uh, 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 you know, did he complain about me? They say, no. What did he do when he, when he, when he got the news that his child died? He, he, said, he, he, he praised you, Ya Allah. And he said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. We belong to Allah and to Him do we return. Uh, and he, was, he, was, he, he praised you. And so Allah Ta'ala will tell the, the angels, Build for, for my slave a house in Jannah. And call it the Baytul Hamd, the house of praise. Uh, imagine that, that this world is a place that, that we put so much hope in, even though we know it's all going to end. And this world we put so much hope in it, even though we know this is the place of death. This is the place of disappointment. This is the place of being separated from the one that you love. This is the place of getting into fights and, and disputes with people. This is the place of hearing bad news and seeing bad things happen. That's the place of what? Of, of love. And that's the place of being together with the ones that you love. And that's a place of happiness. And that's a place where no one ever is sick, no one ever dies. And it lasts forever and ever. So imagine when a person enters into that daughter, are they going to worry about what happened in this world anymore? Absolutely not. But there are some people, if something small happens, forget about losing a child, something small happens to them. It's, why me? I'm a Muslim, I pray five times. Like as if you're, uh, you know, like Allah Ta'ala is your, like, you know, like you, he owes you something. He doesn't owe anybody anything. He doesn't owe his prophets. Why would he owe you and me? Rasulullah says, nobody will enter Jannah except for through Allah's mercy. He said, even you, Ya Rasulullah. He said, even me. If we were to say that about the Prophet wasallam, it would have been disrespect. But he said it, why? In order to convey a meaning from the meanings of revelation that need to be conveyed to us. So the third story is what? About that wall. And so he said about that wall that it belonged to two orphan children. And their father was a pious man. And he hid, he hid their uh, uh, inheritance underneath it. Because you can't just go and put it in the bank. It's like the law of the jungle, right? I have a friend, mashallah, a Gujarati public here. I have a Mimin friend, so it's kind of like, you know, birds of a feather flocking together. So he said that, he said that if I have $5,000, if, if, if I have uh, $5,000, or so no, what did he say? He said, if I owe you $500, that's my problem. If I owe you $5 billion, that's your problem. <laughs> Why? You have all this money, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to defend it? What are you, how are you going to manage all of it, Right? And so they have this, this, this uh, inheritance and they're young, they can't defend it yet. And so their father hid it underneath that wall and it was crumbling. And the Mufassirin say that when it says, وَكَانَ أَبُوهُمَا صَالِحًا That their father was a, a, a righteous man. It's not the father who left the inheritance for them. He was just a normal dude. He was probably a good person, but just a more regular person. That person for whose sake Allah Ta'ala protected those children was their seventh lineal ancestor. Fathers, 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 father. Don't think that you ever do anything good for the sake of Allah Ta'ala and He's going to forget it. 
that good deed will last forever. Imagine, right? Everything in this universe has some purpose. There may be a family, the lineage of which is kufr for a hundred generations. Only one person in that entire family was born on Iman, that person is the reason all those other people exist. Just one person saying La ilaha illallah, one person saying Allah Allah is the reason that the entire universe exists. And this is our belief that once that leaves from this world, the Qiyamah will start because there's no point in this universe existing anymore. So these are Ladunni lessons that, that were taught to Sayyidina Musa Islam, and this opened the door to that world. Now tell me something. Imam Bukhari Taala, his book was accepted from the Ummah, and everybody knows who Bukhari is. Everyone reads his book, he's getting thawab, you know, to this day, right? Literally different groups of Muslims fight with each other about matters of deen, and each of them brings the proof from Bukhari. They can't agree on anything, but they can agree on Bukhari, right? This is tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now when Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala, it's well known that when he would enter a a hadith into his book, after all of the academic stuff and all the research and all of the refinement and you know, debating whether to include the hadith or not, what would he do? He would read two rak'ahs and ask Allah Ta'ala for his help. Now what was he doing there? Is it just because he's like a movie and he likes reading namaz? What is it? There are stories like this, right? Shah Abdul Qadir, he wrote the first tafsir, or sorry, uh, translation of the Quran in Urdu and it took him seven years to write it. And he was in i'tikaf for the entire seven years, fasting by day and praying by night. And in a state of fasting, he wrote that he, he wrote what he wrote. What is that? Right? Literally, people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. For some reason, if somebody tells the miracles of any of the mashayikhs, everyone is like, ah, oh, sure, kufr, these are just fake stories. But you tell those miracles of Sayyidina Umar, everyone's like, awesome, yeah. You know? Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, literally, he, one day he was giving the Jummah khutbah, and he turned to, he turned to the... Uh, he turned to the northeast and he says, Ya Sariyatul Jabal. So Sariyah is a commander and he has a detachment of Sahaba radiallahu anhum and they're about to get ambushed uh, by, the, by, by the Persians. And Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhum, Allah Ta'ala, uh, uh, you know, he uh, brought his attention to this ambush and through miraculous and supernatural means, he got that information and through miraculous and supernatural means he conveyed it to Sariyah and his army radiallahu anhum. And they returned to Medina and they said, we heard you and we avoided the ambush. We found that your warning was true. Now someone might say, oh, these are just tall tales. You know, all you bearded people make this stuff up. Let me tell you something. You know what we didn't make up? The Muslims actually crushed the Persian Empire. They trampled it underneath their feet. It never made a comeback. Never. It was gone. From that time until now, the Persian Empire was such a powerful world empire. Just some years before that, they completely handed the Roman Empire their something on a plate. Not just once, for centuries they used to do that. If you remember from your history, right, the triumvirate Julius Caesar, Pompey, and the Roman general Marcus Licinius Crassus, who was a hard something by any standard. He, made his, he was a wealthy man, he made his money by making the first fire department in Rome. But it wasn't like our fire department. What he would do is he'd have like these wagons filled with water and mechanisms to pump the water. And so if he heard a building was on fire, he would show up with his fire truck and he would start negotiating with the owner. He'd be like, look, your building is going to be worth zero in about an hour. Okay? So sell it to me for like 30% of the cost. And, uh, or pay me half of the price of the building and I'll, I'll put the fire out. Otherwise, I'll just pick it up from you later on for like almost nothing because nobody else is going to give you anything. He was a jerk. And he was a battle-hardened battle uh, 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 general. 
Okay? He took a Roman legion out to fight the Persians. The Persians smashed his legions in, into pieces and they killed him on the battlefield as well. And the Sahaba, right? the Persians were so technically advanced. To this day, Persian people have a pride about their, their, their ancestry. They're so technically advanced that they could, they could build like architectural marvels. Right? I was supposed to end the ban 10 minutes ago and it's not a ban about the Persian Empire. But what, what am I saying? right? If you're saying that this is a tall tale that Sayyidina Umar who received help from Allah Ta'ala, well guess what's not a tall tale? The Sahaba straight up took them to school. Right? They never made a comeback after that. Right? Think about that. Is that a tall tale? Absolutely not. So the point is, is this, is that Allah Ta'ala says in his book, Allah. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he'll teach you something that you didn't know from before. But we think we can do it on our own. We think we don't need him. We don't need to access that knowledge. Wallahi, we need it more than other people need it. Islam didn't make it to Thorncliff uh, without that help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we need it really badly. We're in a bad situation, we're in a bad position. In America, in Canada, in England, in, in the Muslim world itself, everywhere we're in a bad situation. We need it more than others. So next time your Mawlana Saab and your Mufti Saab tells you, you know, don't look at the haram, don't watch Tiwi, right? Don't eat, eat a machine slaughtered chicken or eat the haram. Don't, you know, you know, don't do all of these, you know, don't skip your sunnahs and all of these things. Why is he saying that to you? Is it just because he's a jerk and he wants, your, you know, he wants your life to be ruined and that you don't have fun? No. Nobody wants that. Trust me, all of these pleasures are there in Jannah. You'll see your own Mulana Saab, your own Qari Saab, your own, all of these people in Jannah. They'll have like 70 wives and they'll be drinking wine. You won't know how to enjoy it. They'll show you how to enjoy on that day. They're human beings. This is for your own good. This is for our own good as individuals and as an ummah. In this world and in the hereafter. That we need the help of Allah so badly in this world and we're going to need it even more badly in the hereafter. This is how we can tap into that help. And it's not a joke. The proof I have is that Islam wouldn't have made it from one side of the world to the other. Every, if you read history, always the Muslims are outnumbered, always they're a minority, always they have no money, always they have no technology. The Sahaba anhum, like you, you remember when the, uh, uh, they dug the trench, the Khandaq in Medina Munawwara, and then the Arabs, right? Those people become Muslims relatively soon after. They're like, oh, that's really tricky. Like they didn't even, it didn't even occur to them that that's a thing to do. So many things when they met the Persians and they met the Romans the first time, this is like the first time they saw chawl, man. Like really, literally, there's like reports of the Sahaba when they saw, they cooked rice, and they're like, what is it? This must be some like poisoned whatever. I'm not, and some people are like, yo, I'm hungry and it looks good, I'm gonna try it. And they didn't die, and the rest of like, that really tasted good. And Muslims have been eating chawl ever since, right? They've been eating rice ever since. That's literally how little knowledge they had about the world around them. The Persians are like weird, like, advanced trigonometry and like astronomy and all of these like advanced sciences from the times of the ancients they preserved all of them and the sahaba anhum, when iqra came only 10 people in makkah mukarramah even knew how to read that's i mean they had such low literacy that the prophet sallallahu imagine that he said whoever whoever from the captives of badr can teach 10 muslims how to read that's like a big deal to them so we'll free you if you can teach 10 muslims how to read but what was it? That knowledge, what, you know, they had to catch up with it. And they caught up with it, alhamdulillah. 
I'm not saying it's not important. It's important to learn all that stuff. Go take calculus. Movisa, go learn calculus and differential equations. Go take PCAM and tell people about entropy and enthalpy and Gibbs free energy and Helmholtz free energy. Tell people about all of these things, right? Scare them and let them know that, you know, that real ilm, you have it. You know, you're going to put people in check sometimes for their own good. Right? Go ahead and do all that. But at the end of the day, that's not what gets the job done. What gets the job done, the person who can realize the shurak is not everything. They can enter in and see the whole rest of the world. Allah Ta'ala will show ajaib and gharaib. That's how the deen got here and that's how it's going to make it somewhere else. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala make us from amongst His, from amongst his uh, uh, poor and needy slaves that need Him uh, so badly and that from His fadl and His karam that He wake up something inside of our hearts and He opens some door inside of our hearts that we can also have access to that help uh, that we, we're most sorely in need of. Uh, and so that we can fulfill what we need to do for ourselves and our families and for the ummah of the Prophet wasallam in this world and that, that help also then uh, uh, save us on the day of judgment wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi sayyidina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam ajma'in